Would you guys please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Sam, and I get to serve on staff here as the assistant pastor at Arise Church. And before I was on staff here, before I became a pastor, I was an electrician. And when I first started out as an electrician, uh, out of high school, first couple of days, couple of weeks, I was what you would call horrific at it. I was terrible. I remember the first time someone tried to teach me how to run conduit, how to bend conduit, um, it ended so poorly. It ended with a just a review of what a tape measure is and does, and not even bending conduit. It was, it was bad. It was a mess. But, but uh, before I came on staff here, a couple months before I left the trades, I was complimented by an electrician, an older a uh, wiser electrician that I greatly respected. And he said, Sam, you have become an exceptional conduit runner. You're like, you do that amazing. You're like high, high praise. And that didn't happen by accident. I took time and I worked at it. I practiced it. I learned from other people. I took correction. I was intentional. And I'm kind of a competitive person for those who know me that I was going to be the best conduit runner that I could possibly be. And I could go toe-to-toe with anyone on running conduit. And that's just that competitive nature, that drive in me that I was not going to be the guy who couldn't read a tape measure. Right? I was going to be the best, the best if I could get there. And I got there. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. I don't know if you start something the first time, the first time you try cooking filing taxes, driving your car, whatever you do that you're exceptional at, maybe you weren't so great to start with, but over time and over practice, you got there. And that's what we're talking about this morning, except we're, we're not just talking about learning a skill. We're learning about what it means to follow Jesus and do that exceptionally well with practice. Our teaching text this morning comes out of the end. It's the very end of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus just taught uh, this huge crowd up on this hill about the human condition, the human heart, and what God has to say to it, and a new way of living, a new humanity. We call this the kingdom of God. And he teaches on all, every condition you can kind of think of that life can really throw at you. And he ends with this section. And he reveals in this section that he is the ultimate teacher, that he has the authority to teach on what it means to live the way God intended for us to live. He has the authority. He is the rock. He is the, the way. He is like, it is that. He is the thing. Like, there's nothing else that can compare to the teaching uh, as Jesus, his teaching of what it meant to 
be a follower of Jesus, be part of this kingdom of God. And this creates some challenges for us. This is what Dallas Willard says. Dallas Willard was a theologian who dedicated his life to this stuff. So this isn't just some hot take. This is a dude's like, life, and this is, what he, this is what he said. The greatest challenge the church faces today is to be an authentic disciples of Jesus. And by that, I mean they are learning from him how to live their life as he would live their life as if he were they. So that means whatever I am, whoever I am, I take him into my whole life as my Lord. Lord means that he's my teacher. And another way of saying this is that our greatest challenge is to recover Jesus, the teacher. You know, if you don't have a, if you don't have a teacher, you don't have disciples because disciples are just students. And unfortunately, and it's just a long and convoluted story, but roughly over 200 years ago, Jesus as teacher simply disappeared. Whether liberal or conservative, it does not matter. It does not make any difference. This, and this is the unfortunate fact, and it lies at the foundation of the efforts of many people today to find a different form for the church. So, woof, that is a big kind of statement. The greatest challenge is to learn from Jesus how to become like Jesus. This is something that has been a core missing foundation for our Western, our American flavor of Christianity. Um, and so there's really two huge challenges we have with Jesus as teacher. The first one is, if Jesus is teacher, we can't be. And I'm, okay, Pastor Sam, you know, why, why is that a problem? Why is this a challenge? We live in a culture, in a day and age, that is extremely secular. And what does the secular narrative teach us? Self-reliance. You, if you study the secular narrative at all, it can be broken down to simply pursuing the benefits of the kingdom of God without the king, without God. And you can actually replace God with yourself. It is, uh, we want the progress, we, we want the, the good things, the progress of the kingdom of God without the presence of God. That's all it is. That's really what the secular narrative teaches us. And so your whole life, our, our whole lives, you've heard the same message from our culture that you decide how you do you. You decide your education, your gender, your career path, your anything. It's up to you, and you have to build you a happy world. And in return, if we all just build ourselves happy, awesome worlds, then our world would become a greater and better place. And we're told that all the time, you decide how you do things. That is what the secular, na- secular narrative teaches. You follow. If you want to follow Jesus, sure, but you choose how you follow Jesus. So when we hear Jesus' teacher, that is counter-narrative, that is something that we don't you hear anywhere else. That goes against everything and anything we continue to digest of how we live our life. It is a massive challenge. Uh, And so in Jesus' day, when he was speaking this, when he revealed himself as the teacher at the end here, it would have came across a whole lot different. And that brings us our second challenge. We have a totally, because of that, we have an extremely poor understanding of what it means that Jesus is teacher. We just don't have a good picture. We don't have a good, solid grasp of what this means. 
In that Jewish culture, to be a teacher, another name, they were called rabbis. And to become a rabbi was extremely rare. Uh, and to become an, an, uh, a great rabbi was even more rare, super rare. To become that, to become a rabbi, you had to be the exceptional student in your school. You had to be the top of the top of the top. And even then, you were handpicked by a rabbi to follow them. And, they would be, and you'd be called a, what was called the Talmudim or a disciple, or another translation would be an apprentice. And you would follow them, you would devote your life to that rabbi and learn as much as you can from that rabbi and everything. I mean everything, how you dress, how you walk, how you pray, how you, uh, you know, celebrate festivals, how you, you name it, who you talk to, what you do, you would try and learn everything and anything from that rabbi to become just like that rabbi. It was a blessing to tell someone, may you be covered by the dust of your rabbi because you were so close to that person that as they walked everywhere, the dust that they would kick up would be on you because you got to be so close to this person. And that's, that's what it looked like to be a disciple, a Talmudim, an apprentice to a, a rabbi, to a teacher, and so we have no idea in our secular narrative culture for that anywhere. Not even like in a Sunday school lecture, nothing. Nothing looks what that looks like in our culture nowadays. The closest thing I have to it that I can kind of think of is what maybe my electrical apprenticeship kind of looked like because you had to learn from people, with people, as you kind of do stuff. So thank you, Logan, for volunteering. Come on up. Yeah, here we go, here we go. All right. So I can't just tell you to do it. So you're going to need this hand bender. You're going to bend up a third. Hold on. You need, I need a specific piece of conduit bend. You're making me cut it. I don't, well, if you screw up, we have to cut. That's why measure once, you know, you can cut once. Yeah, if you don't measure, you know, okay, you got it. So what I need is a 90 and you bend the piece in 90, and it needs to be exactly 33 and a half inches high. Okay? And I only have one stick here, so uh, you can't mess up. Okay. Is that, is that enough information, or do you need more? Um, yes, but I don't know how to bend conduit. Okay, so he needs more information. Okay, so you're going to need this. Yep. You need a tape measure. Uh, you're going to need this. This is a level. Yep. Um, this is for in case things go sideways. Yep. Um, and this is for my own protection, because I don't know what you're going to do, okay? <laughs> he's got the tools. Is he set? No, he's still missing something. Okay. Okay. Let me show you how the tool kind of okay. works. This is a bender. You stick the piece of pipe through there, and you place it on the ground, and then you'll step, and you'll bend it up, okay? So this is what it's going to look like. Um, actually, here's what I'm going to do. 33 and a half. 33 and a half. But it has to be 33 and a half tall. Exactly. Ground, you got it. The bottom of this has to be 33 and the top of it has to be there. Correct. It's going to come up and it's going to be exactly 33 and a half so inches. So we aren't measuring 33 and a half. We're measuring something else. All right. Right. Because it curves. It's not a straight line. Okay. See, so he's smart. He's catching on. Okay. Okay. He's following stuff. So what do, how do you think we should do that? 
Well, there's this handy little thing on here. It says stubs, which is what a 90 is, five inches to the marker, which essentially is a five-inch D-dock. Because you gain some height, you, you gain it. Five. So on a half inch, you actually deduct five. So it's 33 and a half minus five. I don't know. I'm really poor at doing mental math. Help them out. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So we need a mark from the edge of that conduit at 28 and a half. And you need, oh, there's the marker. Yep. So, yeah, on half-inch conduit, it's a five-inch, and three-quarter conduit, it's a six-inch, and one-inch conduit, it's an eight, and yada, 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 all the way up to, like, five-inch conduit. All right, so you need a 28 and a half. You, you, you need to hold that for you? Um, maybe. Okay, maybe well, 28, 28 and a half is where? There you go. He found it. Perfect. Done. All right, so you have that measurement. Okay, now where do you start the bend? Does, okay, that's okay. So, so there's this little arrow. Right there. And that's, that's where, where it says start. Exactly. So now I match up just like that. Straight on. Nope. Right here. Hello? Right there. Okay. All right. And you just have to get rid of the beans. All right. Now, so in order not to kink it, you need to put a lot of pressure on your foot. Correct. And as you bring it up, you'll kind of guide it. Use that hand. And as you put pressure on it and it goes up, Use your other hand and grab that piece of pipe and bring it up to like about a 90. You can do it. You can do it. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. All right. Now we need to know how accurate it is. So Probably we have this guy. Nope. That guy is going to tell us. Now use your level to figure out is it level. Oh, a little more. It's pipe is springy, so you have to go a little bit past a 90 so it will bounce back. There you go. It's level. All right. And our height is 33 and a half. He did it. All right. Give him a round of applause. All right. Perfect. So that is, you can go sit down again. Oh, man. So that's a little bit more what it looks like, giving someone tools, hand in hand, step in step walking them through what it looks like. That's a whole lot more what it means and looks like to be a Talmudim, an apprentice, and a disciple to Jesus. Not just somebody that um, you read about. It's not a uh, lecture. It's not, a, um, it's, it's not usually what we think about. It's not just a video you can watch. It is something that you do and actively participate with. So those are our two challenges. One, you can't be your own teacher. And we actually have a very poor understanding of what it means for Jesus to be our teacher. We don't see that a lot in the world we live in. And that brings us to our question is, have we accepted Jesus as our rabbi, as our teacher? Jesus called, when he first called his disciples uh, there's this fun story. He called them and he said, hey, if you follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, you guys know this story. And it's a great kid's story because uh, it's cute because they're fishermen and then they get to become fishers of men. Um, that's not actually a pun Jesus was using. 
Jesus wasn't trying to use a clever spin on their uh, job or the careers, what they were doing. Uh, to be a fisher of men and was language they used for a great teacher as great rabbis because you could captivate people's mind with communication, with great teaching. You were a fisher of men. Just like a fisherman could catch fish, you could catch people with their mind. The first invitation Jesus makes to his disciples, come follow me like a Talmudim, like a disciple, like an apprentice would follow a great rabbi and I will make you great rabbis, great teachers. That is what he is inviting them to do. And then he takes it one more step. He takes it another step. He goes one, except it's pretty big. And in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, he says, go and make more disciples. Make more Talmudims. Make more apprentices to Jesus. So being an apprentice to Jesus, a Talmudim to Jesus, a disciple to Jesus, was not limited to those 12 guys, but something that he invites all of us to. Have you accepted Jesus as your rabbi, as your teacher? And if you have, are you inviting other people to come apprentice under Jesus as we apprentice under Jesus? And it's so vital, it's so important that we invite people to a discipleship that looks like that. Because yes, why is that so important, Pastor Sam? You know, why is it so important that we're learning from Jesus? Why is it important? There are two characters in Jesus' analogy. I'm back in Matthew 7, 24. There's two characters. Both are extremely, uh, have a lot in common. They're both building houses, right? But uh, they both hear the teachings of Jesus. And then they both know the way they're supposed to live life because that's what Jesus' teachings are about. So they both hear it. They both know it. And then they both experience the same thing, a storm. Then they experience two drastically different things because of one major difference. One, surrendered to Jesus, that Jesus was his teacher and put the teachings of Jesus into practice. And the other one just simply knew what the teachings of Jesus were. Those are two drastically big, different things. One practiced them, and one just knew what, knew what they were. Which characters do we connect with this morning? So I got a couple of questions to help us think through this. And this is not an exhaustive list of how you know. This is just to help us get us thinking about this. First question would be, why is it, uh, would be, uh, are you able to receive God's love? Remember, both characters go through a storm. And let's just pause on that for a moment. Are you in a storm right now? And maybe you just came through a storm you're looking around and your life looks like a house that just fell over. Or maybe you're sitting here and you see the storm coming over the horizon and there is nothing you can do to prevent it. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And you know it's going to beat against you. That you're going to have rains coming down and floods rising. And in that chaos, are you going to be able to experience God's love? One of the darkest moments of my life, one of the biggest storms, was sitting alone in a hospital room. 
with a 24-hour baby girl, and they pushed my wife upstairs for emergency surgery to see if she was going to survive, because trying to figure out why she was bleeding. And in that moment, I cried out to God and was amazed by his response. And I get choked up every time I'm just going back to that place because I'm so overwhelmed by God's love for me and the grace he poured out. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in my office with somebody whose life is a mess. Marriage is on fire, hanging on by a thread. Parenting's not going well. Career is a mess. His, their friendships are a mess. And this person was crying, not because of all that he was, they were going through, but simply because we had been walking through together to try and get to God's voice. And he began to hear God's voice and experience God's love for the first time in years. And all he could do was cry because it was that powerful. Do you know that God loves you? Or are you experiencing that God loves you? It's a major difference. Are you becoming more like Jesus? A couple of weeks ago, I was having coffee with a friend who I haven't seen in a while, and he asked me that question, how, how have you changed in the past couple of years? How have you become more like Jesus? And that is a brilliant and awesome question, I think one that we should all kind of ask ourselves. And I was thinking, man, the past two years have been crazy for me. I you know, went from bending conduit to sitting in a staff meeting where I was told we're moving and changing names, so go ahead and do that. So like an intelligent millennial, I typed in the YouTube, how to change my church's name. You know, I, so I was, you know, I've been on a pretty crazy adventure the past two years. But learning stuff like that wasn't the biggest thing that changed me. If you, if you know me, you know me well, the biggest thing that's changed about me is I've become a lot more calm. I've become a lot more present. I've become a lot more steady. A lot of my ambition and anxiety and drive and go, 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 that's still within me. But, this, but it's a lot more harnessed. It's a lot more controlled. It's a lot, it's a lot more centered. It's, it, it, it's not, gets me as much trouble. No, it still gets me in trouble, and I still have a long way to go. But I've changed so much like that. I've become more like Jesus in that way, and that's due to my apprenticeship to Jesus. I'm becoming more like Jesus. And it's not, uh, are you becoming a, a nicer person or are you becoming a gooder, a gooder person, right? It's not, a, not, a, not a word. But are you, it's, it, that's not what you're striving for. Are you becoming more like Jesus, who walked around holy and righteous, who walked around and loved people so imaginable that it just blows our minds? If you read the Gospels, you're like, how in the world did Jesus just love on that person? Because there's no way I could have who saw miracles take place, and who saw powerful prayers answered. Are you becoming more like that? My favorite people in the world are people who do that. Because you can like walk up to them, and you poke them, and a little bit of Jesus comes out of them. And it's so wonderful and so amazing. I, I, I love that. Are you becoming more like that, more like Jesus? That if I poke you, a little bit of Jesus will come back at me. One of the questions that I'm currently working on the most right now in my apprenticeship to Jesus is I'm wrestling with the question, are you available for disruption? 
Am I available to be disrupted? If you read the four Gospels, you will find Jesus was dis- like interrupted by people all the time. Every time he's, he's, he's doing something, he gets interrupted. It's crazy when you start reading and paying attention to what that takes place. And in Mark 5, Jesus is on his way to go heal a girl who's dying. I don't know about you, I would be moving with some urgency. I might be hustling. I might be, you know, picking, pumping the arms. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd be in a hurry. And Jesus, is, this is like the height of Jesus' popularity, and there's crowds all around him, and there's people all over the place, and he's moving toward this. And then he says, hold up, stop. Who touched me? And his disciples say, there's people everywhere. There's so many people touching you like you're crazy. Like, Jesus, stop being dumb. Like, there's people everywhere. Like, let's just keep her moving. And he says, no. And he says he kept looking. Someone touched him. And a lady, a woman, touched him who had been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years of pain. 12 years of experiencing trauma. 12 years of embarrassment. 12 years of suffering. And she thought, if I could just touch the cloak of this rabbi, I would be healed. And she was. And Jesus felt that power leave him. But Jesus didn't want her just to experience physical healing. He stops. Pressure. Little girl's dying. Your people are all around you trying to get you to that little girl. Your disciples are saying you're being dumb, Jesus. Stops. Because he is about advancing the kingdom of God. So he can find that woman and call her a daughter and restore her, and that she doesn't just experience physical healing, she experiences complete healing from that trauma, from that pain and everything. That's crazy, and I go, wow, am I, like, able to be disrupted, or am I extremely selfish? And I find myself a little more on the extremely selfish side of things. About, uh, about a month ago, I was on the phone with Greg Hahn, a lot of you guys know Greg, and I was probably sounding pretty whiny when I was, you know, we always check in with each other. And I was saying, man, I'm tired. I had to hold my son in the wee hours of the night and I was exhausted. And Greg, in this extremely gentle and sweet tone, says, Sam, I would give anything to hold my son again. Back in the hospital room with the beeping and interrupted every 10 minutes. And I go, ooh, talk about being humbled pretty quick. That's the beauty of community, right? They reveal those things that are within you. But you can start building your own questions to those things. And anything that Jesus taught, man, how to deal with um, anger, how to deal with greed, how to deal with grief, how to deal with money, how to deal with, how to do prayer, you name it. Am I, am I, experiencing those things or those things that I just simply know that Jesus taught. So how do we let Jesus be our teacher? How do we let him become our teacher? Because that's what he's inviting us to do. And if we declare that he is our Lord, he is our Savior, we're also declaring that he's our teacher. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, uh, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. A yoke is a tool used for work. It was used for farming, and it's what you would use to hook up a pair of oxen and plow your fields with. And you would put a young, uh, ambitious ox next to an older, steady ox. And the older ox would teach the younger ox how, how things are, how things work, how things are done. That is the picture, that is the image that Jesus was very specific about of what it looks like to follow him and to go and be with him, side by side, working together. You notice, though, Jesus didn't say, come to me, sit on your butt, eat some Cheetos, and like I'll take care of everything. But Jesus also didn't say, come to me, and then work harder, be better, stop being so terrible. He didn't say that, but I see people all the time, and I'm guilty of this myself, we drive into these ditches, the doing nothing or the trying everything ditches. Let me know if you're in this ditch this morning. And the do nothing ditch is similar to you hear a lot of phrases like, you just got to let go and let God, or AKA, I do nothing and God does everything. Okay? And it's a mindset of, it's a little bit of a victim mindset of, man, if, I, if God didn't want me to have this addiction, if this addiction to porn, this addiction to alcohol, this addiction to dopamine, this addiction to whatever the world is offering me that says it can satisfy me, if God didn't want me to have this, um, then he would just simply take it away. It would just go away and I wouldn't have to deal with it. He would just put something in my life. Or are you like me? This is definitely a prayer I prayed, and you're like, man, uh, if only someone could do this for me. So God, can you just send a mentor into my life uh, who can just teach me everything and that fits with my schedule and my desires? And um, I like football, so can they also be a football fan? And uh, can you do that next week? Okay, thank you. Thanks, God. Bye. And I'm just waiting on someone to show up in my life and start fixing my problems. Jesus is here. And he's present. He says, no, come work with me and we'll get out of this together. On the other extreme side, uh, we have what I like, the gospel of self-help, which is actually just a prosperity gospel repackage that if you want to be happier, you just choose to be happier. You don't want pain in your life and like the massive things that are clinging to you, then just overcome them with hustle and grit and something deep within you and um, and it's amazing. And this is the number one, this thing sells because it's the number one selling genre book and it's under the title of personal growth. Now, I receive, don't hear what I'm not, don't hear what I'm not saying. I receive personal growth books for Christmas. I'm excited. I'm going to read them. I'm all about these things. Read these type of books. But most of them leave out one very important detail, which is your personal growth, your journey is with Jesus, not something deep within yourself. Because you can't fix you. We can't fix ourselves. How do I know? I tried. It didn't go well. And if I could fix myself, then there was no reason for Jesus to come down from heaven and die on that cross. Your, your growth, your journey is with Jesus, not something that you can do on your own, that you just have to try and go harder and harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. Jesus invites us to work, to strive, to have a purpose, to have a mission that doesn't burn us out. 
Because being your own teacher, being your own rabbi, building your own kingdom, building your own life in the world, uh, in a world, in a culture, in a society that says go, 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 all the time is exhausting. And there's so many people, and maybe you're in this room, this is you, that are just burnt out. Because you bought, I need to go faster, I need to do more, I need to go, 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 go. And Jesus says, come to me who are weary and burdened. Learn from me. Work with me. And that is like probably, I, I can't name a more beautiful picture than that. Could you imagine if someone asked you, why do you follow Jesus? And you just, I was, had a weary and burdened soul, and I was looking for rest, and following Jesus is it. What are you following? All of a sudden, that's a different type of conversation. We can buy a lot of lies to tell us, don't do this. Satan will throw so many lies your direction because he does not want you to follow Jesus, the teacher. So you don't have time to practice the teachings and the ways of Jesus. Or you get bored too easily. You can only pray for like 30 seconds, so why even bother trying? Or maybe you believe you've disqualified yourself, discredited yourself, taking yourself out, and you possibly can't follow Jesus again. Because you don't know what I've done, what I've said, who I've hurt. Jesus said, no, come to me, follow me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Or maybe you're like me, and one of the lies I've bought about this is being a Talmudim, an apprentice to Jesus, is for smart people, for intellects. It's not for me. Sure, I can follow Jesus, and I can follow people who follow Jesus, but a whole deep life of understanding the nuances of what Jesus has for me, that can't be for me, right? That's for smart people. Jesus says, no, that's for you. Sometimes, I know now I've kind of grown through that, and I'm a pastor, but sometimes I even go back there, and I fail a lot at that, and I start to believe and I buy some of these lies again and again. But Jesus is gentle, and he's humble with us. He's gracious with us. So you can be that with yourself. If you want to begin to be a Talmudim of Jesus, to be an apprentice of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, he invites us to, to simply put his teachings into practice. Put the teachings of Jesus into practice. And Jesus knows we're going to fail at it, that you are not going to perfectly understand every detail and nuance that Jesus taught and live it out perfectly but he gives us the truth that we need to, that it is the foundation of life. But he gives us the grace to continue to practice that and try again and fail and try again and fail and practice and practice. 
So I don't know where you're at this morning, but my final invitation to you is take one step, one step into your apprenticeship with Jesus. What is that one thing God is inviting you to do? And I don't know what that is for you. It could be it's time to stop following Jesus alone and start following Jesus in a community. Maybe you need to spend 10 minutes just practicing the presence of Jesus in your life and just being quiet and still yourself every day for 10 minutes. I don't know. But what is that one thing that Jesus says, come and practice? Learn from me. Learn from me because I am full of grace and truth and I am gentle and I am humble in heart and I want to work with you side by side the same mission. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we declare this morning that you are the ultimate teacher, that you are are the ultimate rabbi. You have the authority for living life, Lord. Your teachings, your ways are the rock by which we desire to build our lives. So Lord, we ask that you would come and that we'd be mindful of your presence and that we would take a step out in faith for what you have for us in this. Lord, I ask that you would remove the noise of the world, inviting us into things that are not following you. Would you begin to take that out of our lives and replace it with your Holy Spirit that will guide us? Lord, I ask that we would give each other grace and we would be gentle and humble with each other and that we would walk an apprenticeship under you uh, with unity as a church and as a it's the body of Christ, Lord. I've heard that in 2023 here, we would become greater apprentices, greater disciples, greater Talmudines of Jesus. Because, Lord, we have a hunger and desire for you. Because there's a storm coming. And you are the only rock that's out there. You are the only foundation. So in you, Jesus, we seek refuge. And we are grateful for that, Lord. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for a blessing? May the dust of Jesus be on you this week. May you receive his joy and his peace and all that he has for you. Amen. All right. All right, church, go and have a great week.